0: about six and a half months pregnant I guess I went in for a follow-up and they found that it wasn't all taken out and it had spread so they needed to kind of meet with the perinatologist which is the high-risk OB to figure out what you know what could we do and so ultimately we agreed that I would deliver at 32 weeks
1: 32 32 is early Welcome to Unscripted Pivots. I am so excited today, especially because I have an East Coast girl in the house. I do. Kristen Croxton. Now living on the West Coast, where I met you, obviously in California, but I love the fact that we both have our roots on the East Coast. So welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here with you
0: and glad to be in California.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Me too, me too. Neither of us are leaving. You've had the benefit of living here a lot longer than I, um, mine's 2017. I think yours was what, 2003? 2003, yeah. Yeah, so you have some track record here and I am here to stay for sure. But you are from Huntington, New York. Do I have that right? Yep. And do you still have your family out there? No, most of them actually have
0: moved elsewhere. So my my parents live here part-time in Dana Point uh, and up in Park City, part of the winter season. Another beautiful area. Yeah. And my brother's in Colorado.
1: So everybody kind of moved west. It all started on the East Coast. Yeah. So... Kristen is pretty impressive. Kristen is a senior vice president at Capital One Multifamily Finance. She's been that since 2011. She has been more than 25 years of experience financing acquisitions and refinancing existing properties nationwide, all over the place. She has originated more than $10 billion in multifamily loans. That's a very large number, Kristen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, kudos to you. I met Kristen through commercial real estate for women. It's called CREW. And I had the benefit of just getting to know you um, because we both share a keen interest in helping other women elevate in the commercial real estate space. And you've been very supportive to me because I am kind of a newbie on the block, you know, in California and within the chapter, the Orange County chapter itself. So I appreciate that. You are currently on Crew Network's Multifamily Council, and that's the larger network that's you know global now. You're a mentor locally in the Orange County, and we just launched the Crew Advisory Council this year, and Kristen was the first one that we asked to join and and lead that charge. And that's because everybody wants you on their council because you're a good (laughs) council. Okay. So we're always there picking your brain. So, you are wildly successful in the finance space, and that really is, historically, and even today, a male-dominated industry. We talk about what we were going to do on this podcast and what we ended up doing. So, let's bring you back to the East Coast when you were doing your studies, when you were in college, which I believe was at James Madison University, right? So, we're in Virginia, and at that time, this was not going to be a finance path, so Let's chat about that for a minute. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I Mm -hmm. had no concept of what even finance
0: was, although my dad did it, but I didn't know what he did. Um, Okay. (laughs) He went went into New York City. He paid the bills. Yeah. (laughs) Went to work. (laughs) It was a good life. I have no complaints, but uh, I didn't totally understand it. I actually thought I was going to be a physical therapist. So I, even during high school, volunteered hours at the local physical therapy place after I'd been treated for an injury and was held out that that was what I was going to do. I considered going to a five-year master's program straight out of high school, um, but decided, okay, maybe, maybe I might change my mind and I wanted to be in a, a more broader uh, base school. So I ended up at JMU, loved it, but turns out that chemistry is not my jam.
1: Oh, I ended- <laughs> I had the same, I had the same pitfall. Okay. <laughs> it <laughs> could too. have been that it was 8am Monday, Wednesdays
0: and Fridays, my first semester, But regardless, uh, that was the one and only D that I ever had in college. And um, it was a very quick pivot right out of out of physical therapy and into at that point, I picked accounting because my mom was an accountant. And I thought, okay, I can do this. Um, But no offense to my wonderful mom, but um, accounting is boring in my mind. It's just not tangible the same way other stuff is like physical therapy would have been hands on. And so ultimately, my third major ended up being finance. We had a couple of real estate classes, so I took both of those, uh, which got me a concentration in real estate. And then to this day, twenty-five years later, I'm still doing cash flow analysis. So unlike many of your previous guests who didn't do
1: or don't do anything related to their college degree, I do exactly what I did. That's cool to know. I mean, I'm wild by you because I, I've never been a numbers person. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm a really strong writer, and I think that's why I ended up pursuing, you know, a legal education, not necessarily a legal career. But when it comes to numbers to this day, I, I just, I, I see, you know, gibberish. I'm going to be honest with you. So when you're speaking your vernacular in your industry, I'm always just like staring at you like, you know, with such <laughs> admiration and awe, because I'm like, I think I know what you're saying, but not exactly so. But what I've come to learn too, that that's okay. I, I, I prevented myself For a long time thinking that I fit in somewhere because I didn't understand what their expertise was, whoever was spouting, you know, forth the facts and that and that's not the case, right? We all know what we know. Uh, So you went into finance and you've been doing that for a very long time and you started that career on the East Coast. What made you come out to the, the, you know, what were you doing on the East Coast and in what capacity, what company? And then, where was the job that led you to the West Coast?
0: Sure. So I started uh, with a company called Berkshire Mortgage Finance, which actually at the time was called Patrician Financial, but it, it quickly changed names right after I started in March of '97, which just made me sound really old. But um, <laughs> you so. younger than
1: me, I've got the, <laughs> the dates.
0: <laughs> no. So uh, I started off as an analyst, which is a typical entry level role on the underwriting side, just understanding the cash flow analysis in more in more depth than what I had done in college. Then learned about borrower financial analysis and appraisals and engineering reports, everything that goes into underwriting a multifamily loan. And then I moved out of the underwriting space and into a product management role. So I was managing our Freddie Mac portfolio, basically all the deals that our originators were bringing in. I was
1: working directly with Freddie to help them win those deals and make them sure they got through the process and approved and closed on time. But And was that transition, was that considered to be a promotion? Like why no. that pivot? Okay. So that, that pivot was because you had earned it, you know, yes. based on your yeah. performance. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. I'd like to think so.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And then in 2003, I moved to California. Um, like many people's stories, I was following a guy, um, which, <laughs> okay. which had, sounded perfect. And I'd always wanted to live in California. So I was able to transfer within work, which was great. The role that I had in my office in Bethesda was available in Irvine, California as well. So I transferred out. It was great. I was super excited to be out there. I packed up every little bit of belongings I had or donated them what I didn't need and moved in with my boyfriend. Um, Unfortunately, once I got out here, we realized that it wasn't going to work long term. So that was, you know, about three to six months after I got out here, I was kind of standing there trying to figure out, am I going to go back to D.C. now or do I stay here and just kind of figure this out? So I got my own apartment in Laguna Beach, which was amazing. I made some great friends.
1: Okay. Let's take a pause there. Okay. Yeah. So you're coming out for a single guy, your family's living on the East coast. Most of your friends, certainly your colleagues, coworkers, yeah. everybody was on the East coast. Yeah. And I mean, that was a pretty brave move. Yeah. I, I could see why, why, you know, a, a guy might attract you to do that. And, certain, <laughs> and certainly the weather is nothing to, yeah. uh, to miss because it is the best out here for sure. But then you, you did that. And what's so interesting is that, you actually did come out here for a guy because the universe showed you which guy you were supposed to be here for, okay? So, you know, we write the script in our life. We have our plans and we should because we have to move towards something tangible. And then all of a sudden we're shown like, uh, yeah, no, it's never plan A, it's plan B. Sometimes it's plan C. But tell us a little bit about that because this story takes a really cool turn, okay? In a personal way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So,
0: you know, we're just working a
1: ton, you know,
0: in my mid to late 20s, had some great friends at work and we'd been friends for years and then ultimately my husband and I started dating um, he left the company to pursue other stuff for a while okay which made it easier and not as
1: complicated and then we got married in 2007 so okay so in 2007 where were you working then what was the company's name I was so I was still at Berkshire which had at that
0: point been sold to Deutsche Bank so we were in Deutsche Bank Berkshire mortgage my husband had left and gone
1: to Greenwich Street Capital which is a CNBS lender all right and what was that like when there was a changing of hands and whatnot with the company? Did you experience any kind of disruption? Because sometimes when new people are at the helm, you're losing colleagues, there's a cultural shift. Like, What was happening there?
0: Yeah. So that was another big, huge, uh, unscripted pivot, to be honest with you. <laughs> okay. um, so we had a lot of senior originators that had been in the space a long time, but had always worked for a privately held company. The company, like before Berkshire Mortgage, was a company called Bank- Bankers Mutual on the West Coast. So you know when it was Berkshire it was still fine it was still privately held and smaller group but when Deutsche Bank came in a lot of the, the senior originators just said no thanks like we're out um, we're going to go find another smaller place to kind of restart which was a great opportunity for me although I didn't I wasn't I didn't think I was ready for it yet so at the time my boss partnered me up with Greg Reed who's still my partner today since 2005 that's right yeah
1: Yeah. You have
0: a, you have a work husband. I do. Yeah. I've (laughs) actually been with with the work husband longer than my actual husband, but luckily they're good friends too. Mm -hmm. So he put us together and said, get out there and start trying to figure out how to keep all these accounts. We were getting, you know, this was happening right before the sale to Deutsche Bank. And so they were worried about business dropping off and what the sale happened, you know, would it even go through if numbers dropped and top salespeople left? Mm -hmm. So he just put us together and said, get out there. So I know I never saw myself as a salesperson. I liked being in that intermediary role where I, you know, I could help the originators close their deals, but I didn't. I wasn't, you know, front line, and it wasn't commission, and it was. It was a lot. It felt a lot better or safer. But mm-hmm. you know, he forced us together.
1: Luckily, Greg can sell ice to an Eskimo, so. You have spoke very highly about him. I have yet to actually meet him, but you speak very highly about him. And so, and I know it's a partnership that's been working very well for you over the years. So kudos to to you both. So you meet Jonathan, who is your husband and you meet him in 2007 and you're married a couple of years. And then what? Okay. I know that you're a mom of two and, and you started a family fairly early in your marriage right? Yeah. But we were old, (laughs) but I was already, I was already, well, I felt old.
0: I won't say I was old, but I felt old. I felt like I needed to. How old were you? I was 34 when Tessa was born or just almost 34. All right. And I knew she, you
1: know, my hope was that she wasn't, you know, would be the first of several, but so, you know. Okay. So, so, but you've got this, like these shifts happening in your career, and your workplace, and then, you know, in your personal life, you're getting married and you're saying, okay, tick tock, like a lot of women yeah. do, we do, we yeah. say, okay, it's time to have a family. And so you jump into that and, and all seems well, yeah. right? Yeah. All seems on schedule. And then you were presented with another pivot. Yeah. So let's share with everybody the surprises that became your life. Sure. So, that point 2008 and i have a thyroid condition called hashimoto which
0: had i'd always just gone to the doctor every four months to have blood work done make sure my thyroid function was fine i took synthroid to to balance it all and while we were on vacation during the summer jonathan said "You, your thyroid looks large you, you probably need like an appointment and maybe they need to adjust your meds which could happen from time to time like the thyroid would get enlarged and then adjust mm-hmm. your medicine and i'd never been to the point where he could see that but you know I didn't really think much of it so went in and the doctor looked at it he said okay well, we're just gonna do um an ultrasound well that was inconclusive so then he said well we're gonna do just a fine needle aspiration which is like a biopsy where they stick the needle in a tiny little needle into a bunch of different spots pull
1: out cells and test them because they can't really tell
0: where they're going
1: it's not and when you say pull out are we on your neck we're in your abdomen yes. where are we it's all it's all in your neck okay in your thyroid so right in your neck here
0: yeah so I did that, but they really weren't concerned about it. They just thought they wanted to double check it. And so uh, I had that done, that the biopsy done, and I went home and then over the weekend found out I was pregnant Wow! and then went back in for the results the next week. Um, again, not thinking anything of it. So I'm sitting in the office and the doctor says to me, okay, well, is there anything you want to tell me, anything that happened over the weekend? And I was like, that's a weird question, but sure, um, I'm pregnant. He said- I know I saw your blood work last week, but I didn't want to tell you. So I wanted you to find out on your own, which was nice. That was great. He's like, but you know, your, your thyroid biopsy was inconclusive and I don't think we can leave it. We probably need to do some surgery. So I'm sitting there by, by myself. Jonathan wasn't with me cause I didn't think it was a big deal it. You know, yeah. I was, it'll be fine. So my doctor then proceeds to pull out his cell phone. He says, we already have a plan. And he pulls out his cell phone and calls this surgeon who happened to be in France on vacation. And he answers his phone and says, great, I've been waiting for you just outside the Louvre. I knew you were going to call. And they proceed to walk me through how, you know, he introduces me to the surgeon. The doctor says I've done you know,
1: I don't know, probably thousands of these thyroidectomies But given you're pregnant, we're going to do it a little bit differently. Oh, wow. I mean, the sensitivity of the situation because you were pregnant. But what I'm trying to digest, Kristen, is the polarity of that news. Here you are pregnant and so excited because, you know, the two of you were very prepared to be parents. And at the same time, simultaneously digesting the fact that you had something as scary as cancer. And what does that mean? And then let's not forget. We've got Kristen, the badass financier. Okay. That has a full time career. Okay. That is going through this. And I want you to just walk us through what it was like to be a woman and be wearing all those hats. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're. Obviously, didn't give up the job or take time. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you dealt with health issues. So, how did you manage all of that and what was the process like? Jonathan kind of makes fun of me for this, but I've I've said this
0: before to other people. I have a tendency to like take things and put them in a box and put them on a shelf until like they need to be dealt with. So, once the game plan was in place, it was like, well, you can't do surgery during the first trimester. We're going to have to wait till like week 14, 15. So, that was it. I put it in a box and I went back to work. Like you know, they didn't say that it was cancer. They didn't know it was cancer for sure, so they didn't. They weren't calling it. They were just saying it was, to, to, you know, to be just to be careful, right? So
1: I just put it away and went back to work. That's a very powerful design for living. Mm -hmm. And not everybody's (laughs) able to execute that. And I guess it makes sense that since you can compartmentalize successfully like that, that that's why you are actually in the numbers game that you are. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Because your wiring kind of lends itself to that. So you were able to manage it by putting it, quote unquote, into a box and taking it as it can come. Yeah. So we had the first surgery, pretty easy,
0: no brainer. I went. It was it was a lot longer than they inspected because it because it turned out that it was cancer and they needed to make sure they got all of it out. So they took out half the thyroid. And then when I woke up, they were like, well, we did find cancer, but uh, we, we got it all. So it's all fine. So I was like, great. So we put it again, put it back in the box, nothing else to do. We were potentially going to remove the rest of the thyroid um, after Chessa was born j- just in case, but like mm-hmm. nothing else to worry about. So I put it in a box again. And then about six and a half months pregnant, I guess I went in for a follow up and they had found that it, it had not been all gone. It wasn't all taken out and it had spread. So they needed to kind of meet with the um, the perinatologist, which is the high risk, you know, OB, to figure out what, you know, what could we do? And so ultimately we agreed that I would deliver at 32 weeks. 32, 32 yeah, so, is early. So four weeks. Yeah, it was, it was like, the, it was the agreement that they came to. It was the spot where she was fine, healthy, you know, from all the tests that we were doing. And so, but they really wanted to make sure I got treatment sooner rather than later at that point because it was just the hormones. They believed the hormones from the pregnancy were just kind of making the cancer grow faster.
1: And so how were you balancing your career? Because you obviously had some physical setbacks right? and appointments and things that would otherwise interrupt the nine to five. Not that there was any such thing as nine to five in your world. (laughs) But I mean, how um, flexible was the workplace then? And did you ever even think or consider of taking like a career hiatus to do all this or what was your mindset? You know, I think that's the beauty of having a partnership, both at home
0: and at work, was that there was a lot of flexibility. I didn't, I didn't feel like I wasn't allowed to take the time to do the the appointments, or I didn't feel like I don't think Greg ever thought about like this isn't working for our partnership. It wasn't that, never that way at all. It was all about making sure that you know I stayed healthy and everything worked out with the pregnancy. So it worked out fine. You know, I mean, I did have a lot of appointments. Thankfully, I was working in Irvine, and I was. Uh, my doctors are all at the Saddleback Hospital, which is like a 15 minute drive from the office, so super quick, you know, back and forth between appointments. Uh, until I ended up on bed rest, which that was that was kind of a bummer. About just before, what about two or three weeks before she was born, I ended up on bed rest because I had high blood pressure and long, as well as gestational diabetes. So you know, it was like a whole slew of fun things. But so at that point, I took. That's when I went on leave at that point, when I went on bed rest. You
1: were given, this is really cool to hear that you were given the grace and the support both in and outside the house. So obviously Jonathan, as your husband's going to support you in any which way he can, but I mean, his primary concern is going to be the well-being of you and your unborn child. So he wasn't saying, hey, you know, quit this career, stay at home, because now we have the unknowns ahead of us. You're going to be a new mom. You're dealing with cancer. You know, there were, you know, he was there to say, go ahead, go to work. And then on the flip side, you had Greg, who I believe is um, junior to you, correct? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. younger than you. Yeah, he's about seven years younger. Yeah. But but he sounds he sounds pretty evolved to be like, <laughs> okay, I've just like, you know, hooked my wagon to what I know is a big talent, but I don't know mm-hmm. if she's going to be available. But he, he didn't lose faith in you either, which is a real testament to your character. Harder, okay, and, and to the way that you grow your relationships—that's a real testament to you. This is really cool to learn. Yeah, so then, yeah. so Tess comes. Tess comes into the world, and how how big was she? If she came out, she so early? was five pounds. Oh God, I should know this. Five pounds, eight ounces. Five
0: pounds, okay. six ounces. Sorry, she was five six. Jack was even smaller, but yeah, she was five six. Um, okay. But she was fine, fully healthy, no issues. Everything was great. I mean, it was a very basic, very easy delivery. I mean, I thought that was like for my crappy pregnancy. So yeah okay. Kind of,
1: yeah. <laughs> you 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 would do that. You would yeah. do that. So how much time did you take off? You know, because I find that, you know, the the whole, you know, being becoming a mom and, yeah. and bouncing the crap. I mean, you had enough time in your career that you could kind of put it a little bit on cruise control as necessary, mm-hmm. right? So you were invested and there was nothing you were going to walk away from certainly, nor did you have to. Yeah. So how much time did you take off before you were able to get back in like, you know, full time? And what did that look like? I mean, who was yeah. taking care of Tess? So yeah, so
0: during that time, actually, while I was going through all this, Jonathan lost his job because it was during the financial crisis and the CNBS world blew up. So, Yo, he, was co- so he was collecting unemployment. So he was around, which was nice, especially when I was on bed rest, because he kept me like, in he made sure that I didn't get up and walk around and do anything. That was back in the day when you could order the Netflix... CDs, you know, or the DVDs and they would show okay. up and like the most you could get was three and we would like power through them and then we'd send them back real quick to get more. Um, we watched, I think we watched like, I mean, some crazy stuff. And then, you know, when you're pregnant, you have those crazy dreams. And we were, we, we watched
1: Breaking Bad and I was like, that's no good. I can't. Uh, oh, I, no, but but I liked Breaking Bad. You know, no, it was good, th- but not when you're crazy. Like, no, not when you're <laughs> But you know what? This is really cool because you know what you're saying now is reminding me of the silver linings that come out of tragedy. Now, I remember the the big financial crisis and how it impacted and at the time I I was working in Manhattan and it was like overnight, all these deals that were like, you know, set to go, uh, they, there's everything evaporated and, you know, uh, banks closed. I mean, it was really tragic, but this is happening at a time when you're going through a lot of personal stuff, but the upside is all of a sudden Jonathan's home. And yeah. I mean, how perfect is that? Because that's exactly kind of what you guys needed, but right? yeah. the universe, like kind of did you a solid there. percent, and, and you see that even in COVID, you know, that, I mean, as, as awful as COVID, is because it's still kind of going to some degree, but certainly we've returned. But just that, that, um, that shift that nobody would have asked for. Okay. That right. unscripted pivot that we wouldn't have said, yeah, let's make this happen has really kind of redefined how people work you know, the remotability, yeah. if that's even a word, and just the prioritizing of family because we all got to revisit our humanness, right? Yeah. And the fact that we actually have, you know, children and we have homes and we can, and we have pets, okay? Pets yeah. really made out in COVID. I mean, dogs, yeah. especially. <laughs> everybody <laughs> so- got,
0: everybody in Ladera got a COVID puppy, including us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did you really?
1: Okay, I, I had it pre-COVID, but my, my dogs just love it. But so, so you had that in, in 08, but you know what I'm thinking about this? So he ended up working from home and I know, and let's just jump to this. Because I know that Jonathan has his own business and that he does still work from home, correct? Yeah, and he he manages our our private investments side of the business. So yeah, and luckily he can call the shots on timing
0: for that stuff for the most part. I,
1: I mean, it's it's really the dream to be yeah. able to you know manage and own and direct your time, and then you know really have more power and control over your future. Mm-hmm. And you both have the skill set that kind of enables you to do extremely well for yourselves right i mean so this is i mean i celebrate that all day long what was that like or what is that like when you have a husband who is doing a business at home i know you know you mentioned you have jack too you're your yep. parents of two children and they live at home with you okay yeah. for, as far as i know yeah. right all the time. They never leave. No. <laughs> yeah. But how do you manage when you're going out and you travel a lot, you get honored here or there. I was in Utah with you last year. I, you know, I mean, everybody's celebrating Kristen all over the country, rightly so. <laughs> so, I mean, how do you manage that with him being home full time, having a, a legit career? I mean, he's not a home husband and, you know, and the two kids. Yeah. He stayed home with Tessim when I went back to work for a little bit and then realized that was not like a hundred percent his jam. So he,
0: he went back to work and he worked until 2013, which was Jack was about one and that's when it got too much kind of to your question like it got too challenging for us because we were both traveling um and it's just too hard to find somebody and balancing the schedules and whatnot so and he just figured this is this is a great time so it's been great because then they've got someone at home we did have a nanny
1: for a while as well so he could do the
0: hours that he needed to do on his business and not not be just you know interrupted. By, well,
1: because um, we all saw that in COVID too. I mean, the yeah. job responsibilities you know didn't really necessarily change, just yeah. the environment. And now there's the balance of it. And but it's very difficult. The reason I bring it up is that it's a challenge to recognize that somebody's actually working because there they are in their non-work like clothes. Okay, yeah. and there they are in a home environment. Right. And you know it almost can like breed resentment. Like I work 100% remote, so you know my husband will come home from his outside. Job, which is you know golf teaching, as you know, and 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 he'll. It's not that he questions that I'm not getting things done, but I look like I'm easy to interrupt, right? Right. And then you know I'm like, hey, wait a minute, you know. So I know with all the hats that you wear and the importance of your role over at you know Capital One, that it might look a little bit um, unusual, you know. Oh, we're asking mom something, but you're really you're still on that business call that you're carrying over from the car, which is being carried over from the office, right? And so to make those shifts, do you find that women ask you how you balance that and how you manage that because they're looking for ways to do that in their own life. I mean, I would imagine. Yeah. That question comes up a lot
0: and it's, and it's a challenge to answer too, because I think you have to have a a very balanced home situation or like a a spouse that's willing to, to do a lot more. I mean, Jonathan does like all the school pickups. I do drop-offs as much as I can when I'm in town. So that, and then I usually head to the office. He does all the pickups. He's the one that's home. He's the one that makes sure homework gets done. He makes the lunches. Like You have to have some kind of help to make that balance. But I also think that it's not a perfect, there's not a perfect equilibrium. It ebbs and flows, right? So sometimes you're focused more on your home life and sometimes you're focused more on your work life and you just have to kind of balance yourself between that stuff. right? That's
1: the reality of it. Yeah. I want to talk to you a little bit about DEI because everybody's always talking about DEI, you know, in the last couple of years. How do you think that DEI is presenting itself in the workplace, in the finance industry you know with women i mean is there a change and a shift i mean i think there is i think there's a big focus on it for you know various reasons right
0: i mean i think some of them are the good reasons and I, and then some of it i think it's still fine but is you know is driven by you know different you know investor feedback and what people want to see right people want to see more women on boards people certain states require it right california although that I, that one's up for debate but but i think it's just pushing the message is important and you know capital one's very focused on it Um, It's something we talk about all the time. And I think, you know, for us within my division,
1: we have our our senior leadership team is made up primarily of women. Capital One has a very solid reputation in that regard. And they're not just, you know, fulfilling quotas. okay, and making investors happy. They, from a cultural standpoint, are all about that, like genuinely. So, and I know that's one of the reasons that you've really kind of stayed there and you've excelled. I also know that even as young as you are, because you're much younger than I am, you're considering making some changes and you're also bringing up another woman, Tina, right? To like, kind of like, you know, get ready to fulfill your role because yeah. you, you want to become an independent the way Jonathan is. You now have a what, portfolio and you want to get yeah. a little bit more involved. So talk about that because you're really considering, um, I can't even use the word retiring so much as you, you're like expanding, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're you're creating a pivot. So yeah. let's talk about that because even when I met you just a couple of years ago, you were flirting with that, or there was some buzz about that—that that it was upcoming. I don't know if it's going to be really soon or not, yeah. but yeah, tell us about that a little bit. Sure. I mean, I think you know, it's it's been 25
0: years of you know working for somebody else is it's great. It's been profitable for sure. I've been super lucky with how successful we've been, and it's been it's been great. But I think I'd like to shift my time. Now with my kids are fourteen and eleven, I, there's not a whole lot of time for them to be around. So I don't want to have to travel as much. I'd like to get as much time with them as I can before they go to school and then never come come back. Hopefully, not. Just kidding. But, um, <laughs> they can come back. Oh, they'll come back. They they may leave again, but they always come back for a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what that looks like. I mean, I have. A, I think too. It's. I feel like it's time to kind of do more and give give back more. So that's you know I do that with the mentoring but I think I'd like to find a way to be doing that more in the community in a bigger sense. So um, my hope is to to kind of retire out of Capital One at some point in the near future. I don't have a set date at this point. It depends on how things, you know, how things look and, and then yeah, partner up, you know, Jonathan and I work together and, and figure out, you know, how we want to buy, if we want to buy more apartments, if we mm-hmm. how we want it to look. And My, my, you know, my dream would be to be able to buy some workforce housing and partner up with a nonprofit or create my own nonprofit, depending on how that looks. And, and provide services to the tenants because I think that's where there's a little bit of like disconnect. Like, we can provide all this, not that we provide a lot of affordable housing in the market, but they provide these housing units, but then they don't provide the services. And so I started working with uh, Innovative Housing Opportunities, which is Chihuahua. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it's just been eye opening to see kind of the projects that they build, but also the services that they wrap into that. So, who they partner with to provide all, everything for the tenants because it's not just about giving them a place to live, but it's getting them back on their feet or Helping them understand credit scores and finances, and helping them, you know, apply for that
1: next job and get stronger. You know so. what this this is really this is really incredible, Kristen. Because with all that you've learned, you have the skill set and knowledge to go out there and make yourself some good coin, and you know, further invest in, in real estate all over the place. But you have taken what you've been exposed to, and you're not just going to use it for yourself. You're going to. Zero in and fix a need and be of service to the community at large, which can easily be overlooked when you consider, you know, people trying to grow a corporation, right? So you're personalizing what you've experienced and you're going to be giving back. And, and that takes a lot of time and attention to do. And I could see that's meaningful work that you really probably couldn't capture in your responsibilities within Capital One. I mean, sure, I imagine everybody there is really supportive of what this goal is, but that's not really the platform where you can execute that. So that's probably inciting you to get to what we should call, well, I don't know, quote unquote, retired. (laughs) Okay, Kristen, uh, I want to go back a second because I have something in my notes that I overlooked earlier because I don't understand what this is. I see, you know, we talked about you going to James. Madison University, and within your bio, probably I think it was on LinkedIn, University of Pittsburgh, oh, and, and it says Semester at Sea, and I'm like, well, I want to know a little bit more about Semester at Sea. What, what is that? <laughs> Tell us so, about that. That was the greatest
0: 100 days of my life. It was fabulous. <laughs> so it's a it's a program. I, I don't know what university runs it now. At the time, it was Pittsburgh. I believe at some point, it had also been it run out of Boulder, but basically I transferred to Pittsburgh for a semester to participate in this program. We were on a ship. It was an old, like old cruise ship, but a cruise ship nonetheless. Okay. And we left out of the Bahamas, went to Venezuela, Brazil, South Africa, oh, wow! Kenya, Vietnam, Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, and Japan, back to Seattle. And on the ship, we, in between stops and ports, we learned, we had basic classes. So I had an economics class and a, Marine biology class, also one I did not do well in sciences again. <laughs> and then some like core basic classes about culture and the history of the class of the places we were visiting. And they we talked about like the social norms before we got off the ship, like these are the things you do in this country, these are things you don't do, right? Like and then we would spend two or three days in each of those countries doing a variety of things. So in Brazil, I flew to Manaus and took a little boat to another boat, and we went into the Amazon for a couple of days, which was amazing. Went on safari in Kenya. We climbed the Great Wall in China. We did some really amazing, amazing things. And were you doing this with some of your um, like college friends? I mean, it was it was all people that had transferred to the University of Pittsburgh from all over the country just for that semester. Like, So you applied to the program, and like, like Pittsburgh just happened to be the one that kind of orchestrated it, but it was kids from all over the country. And so I applied to it and hadn't told any of my... I mean, my friends at college knew at, at JMU, but when I got home for the summer, I told one of my best friends about it and she was like wait what I I'm doing that so we both we went together oh you're kidding you didn't even know yeah. that okay We didn't know so we went together, but we didn't room together, which is great because we made like lots of great friends, but we always had each other and like we, we went on a lot of our a lot of those adventures we did together, which was amazing. Did
1: you always so, have this free spirit? Because honestly, I think at that age, I mean not that it was super young, but I would have been reluctant to leave outside the house, like to go <laughs> that far yeah. for that long. No, I really would have. I, I think I you know had fears back then that I don't have any longer. But you had a great sense of spirit. I mean, my parents were always big on traveling and I think that helped. So we I'd
0: already been to Australia with them when I oh, was in high okay. school yeah so you know I, I mean certainly going to Australia where they speak English isn't as like daunting as going to Brazil where they speak Portuguese but I felt like I think because we were with a group that and there were teachers and you know we would be fine I mean we I, there were definitely some things that were not so responsible that we did like my best friend from high school turned 21 in Hong Kong and we may have, you know, partied it up like we should have, but we had a great time. But, but it was, it was a great experience. And ironically, um, Tina from my office, she did it too, but many years after me. And okay. uh, it's funny, you meet people that are similar to you, and the topic will come up, and they'll say they. Oh, yeah, I did that. It was the greatest thing ever. And it's funny because
1: it's a small program, but I met a lot of people. Now, when you think of I know your kids are on the young side now, but are you thinking about exposure like that, things like that for your own children? Because there's all yeah. sorts of programs. Yeah. My, my kids participated in that. But I don't know about this, the SEEP thing. I mean, that's, a, yeah. is, 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 do you have to be studying finance or, or anything in particular to participate no, in that? that? No, just general, right? General, yeah. So I had to make sure that I had taken, I had to do
0: summer school two summers, like, like one easy summer semester just to make up for some classes that I missed while I was gone. But yeah, as far as my kids go, they love to travel too. So we've been, we took them to Europe before COVID. Uh, My parents actually do a great trip with each grandkid and they took my daughter to Iceland last summer. Oh wow! So Mm -hmm. Tessa thinks she wants to, you know, she wants to do a semester in Iceland when she's in college. So yeah, I think I love the travel
1: part. Well, and and you'll get to do more of that as you, uh, you know, make your exit out of Capital One. Yeah. Let me ask you one last question. What advice would you give to young women who are interested in pursuing a career in finance today?
0: Yeah, go for it. Don't be disturbed by the ratios in the classroom. Although I would bet at this point the ratio in the classroom was probably much more like 50-50 or mm-hmm. even more women, but don't don't let the, you know the the board of directors or the like senior management teams discourage you in places that aren't that where there aren't more women. I think just go
1: for it. It's like you belong wherever you want to be. Yeah. 100%. Right? Yeah. And I think that's the message that you give all the women that you mentor. And, you know, you grace, you know, the whole crew thing tenfold. And, and it's important because we need leaders like yourself to lead by example. Okay, not just by suggestion, and that's what you do. That's what you seem to do all along, and so I think that's absolutely incredible. Well, I can't wait till we get out and golf or something again, know. you know, because we, we've done a little bit of that. I'm taking pickleball lessons now, so <laughs> if you want, if you want to join me there, we'll do that. But uh, <laughs> that sounds fun too. We, we need to socialize a little bit more. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for coming on. It's so good to see you. I wish you all the best in 2023. Me too. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you.